Oh, great Father, we approach this text in fear and trepidation, knowing that this text, Father, comes to us from You. And not only does it come from You, but You are here with us in this place. And this not only encourages us and comforts us, But it challenges us, Father, in singing to you and being reminded of the great sacrifice of Jesus, that you listen to our prayers as a Father, that you have given us this Word. And this Word, Father, we never want to take for granted, but to be challenged by it, to become the kind of people that live a life of praise in all that we do and all that we say, wherever we go, that people recognize you and us to the praise of your glory. This is a great task. And we confess it is beyond us. We pray not only for your help through your Spirit that you have given to us in order for our lives to become like your life. But we pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see in such a way, Father, that we become this overflow of goodness because of your blessing to us, this overflow of goodness into the community and the city and the world around us. All to your honor and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus began his three-year ministry by preaching that the kingdom of God was near. And this was kind of the summary statement. The kingdom of God is wherever the will of God reigns supreme and all his creation and creatures flourish. The kingdom of God is our proper environment. And when Jesus began to teach what the kingdom of God life looked like in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he started by saying that the kingdom of God is a blessing-rich life that is available to everyone. Those blessings are available to everyone and to anyone. There is no one who is shut out from it. It is a blessing-rich life. And throughout the Bible, there is an image that in a a specific word, but primarily an image that is given to us over and over and over again for us to get a feel, to get an understanding, a vibe of what this blessing-rich life in the kingdom of God is like. And the word that I want to use is the word overflow. David says in Psalm 23, verse 5, That you prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head, my cup, what? Overflows. In another psalm, the, the psalmist is describing the greatness of the nearness of God in all of life. And he says in Psalm 65, you crown the year with your bounty. And your carts overflow with abundance. In that great prophecy... Out of one of the minor prophets, Joel chapter 2, that same chapter 
in which uh, Peter is able to explain what the day of Pentecost was all about and why they should have been anticipating it. In Joel chapter 2, Joel has this vision of the threshing floors being filled with grain and the vats will overflow with abundance of oil and new wine. Jesus, when, when he was meeting people and talking to people and teaching what the kingdom of God was like, he would use this idea of abundance and overflow. In John 4, he says to that Samaritan woman at the well, so surprised that somebody like him, a Jewish man, would speak to somebody like her. And he, when he offers her that water, she says, I want it. And he says, this is what that water is like. This water will become like a spring within you, welling up to eternal life. And just a couple of chapters down the road, he's going to talk about this life that he offers in the kingdom. And some of the translations call it life to the full. Other call it an abundant life. But you get the idea. It's life that is really life. It's a life that has a significance. And it's not just the Christ. Paul in Romans 5 says that God's grace in chapter 5 will literally overflow to the many. And at the end of that book, that letter to the Romans, he says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow means the capacity... When, when something's overflowing, it means that it's, it's beyond the capacity to contain it. You can't, you can't hold it in. For instance, when do you know that someone is drenched from the rain? It's when they trail rainwater on the floor behind them as they walk through the house. In talking about giving generously, Jesus says in Luke 6 that you will be given good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. What, is that, what does that even mean? Uh, not you know this is that time of year it, it's a great time of the year because the blue bonnets and Indian blankets and all of the wildflowers are beginning to pop out and it is on the cusp of grass turning green and getting ready to mowed but if there is anything sort of wrong about this time of year it is all those leaves it just leaves everywhere and like you I have sort of this weekly task in the front yard, in the backyard with that big green recyclable bin, is you, you take that thing in the backyard and you rake those leaves and rake those leaves and rake those leaves. And guess what? The guys that made that recyclable bin did not have an understanding of what leaves on the ground in South Texas in March looks like. And you can never get all of those leaves in there very comfortably. So what do you do? You get on top of it and you shake it down and you step on it and you shake it some and everything begins to settle so then you get more in it and you do the same thing. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When it comes to the blessing of God that comes into your life that, that reflects your generosity. That it's like if every one of those leaves in that, that recyclable bin was a blessing, God is on top of it smashing it down putting more blessing in it, shaking it so that everything evens out, getting down on, until it can't have any more leaf in it, and then he dumps it onto your lap. Says that's what it's like. We have a German shepherd, as you know. She is a great dog, but she is not a lover of baths. 
And she is pretty patient until she is drenched with water. And then she has only one thing that she can do. Man, she just, she just shakes. And everybody in a 10-foot radius of that dog gets soaked. Overflow is what happens in the blessing-rich life of the kingdom of God. God, who is a joyful and loving blesser, pours blessing after blessing after blessing into your life to the point that you can no longer contain it. People see you walking down the road, and they say, that's a blessed person. Jesus would describe what this looks like in a very practical way in the very next section, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at. After saying that you're blessed because of of all all of the, the blessings that come into you because of the kingdom of God, regardless of where you are, he looks at all of those people that are standing around him, that great multitude, as he's teaching, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. But you are also the light of the world. You and you and you and me. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a table. They put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, do your good deeds before men in order that they may see these good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. When the overflow of the kingdom blessings on the inside come out, it turns our world right side up. We're in a world where people are flying these jets upside down. We're living our life upside down. And when you allow and recognize that God is this joyful, loving blesser and you you live in His blessings and you recognize Him and you just can't contain it any longer, what happens is you begin to, 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 to drench people in the goodness of God that has come into your life and the world begins to be put right side up where people begin to recognize that there really is a God and that He is He is one to be praised, and He is one to be loved, and He is one to put at the core of life. And so this overflow that turns you into the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be is described by Him as you become like salt, and you become like light. And the reason for salt and light is, number one, the world needs help. The world needs help. Two, I think two verses are helpful here. The first one from Romans 8, the middle of that great chapter. Paul says, the creation, this is what we're standing on. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to what? Bondage to what? Decay. The decay that is all around us and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And when John, towards the end of his life, is an old man, and he's sitting down and he's writing these unbelievably beautiful and wonderful stories about the Christ that are not found in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
He talks first about how Jesus comes into this dark world as truth and as light. And at the beginning of his gospel, he says, this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Two words that describe the world as we know it right now. Decay and darkness. In other words, the world is falling apart and people are falling apart. When something decays, it begins to break down into something other than what it was. Something good decays unto something that is rotten and unrecognizable. Decay turns something from what it was supposed to be to something that no one wants. Tooth decay. Bodily decomposition. Moral decay. And darkness is where things are hidden. And they can't be seen. Sometimes it's a treasure. A treasure in darkness cannot be found. The flip side, danger in the darkness at times cannot be avoided. These two biblical words, decay and darkness are the reasons there's so much cynicism in the world. The questions that were around before 1945 but really came to the surface of all of the philosophical questions, 1945, have not ever been answered satisfactorily in the world of philosophy. The question, how in the world did a place as sophisticated and as cultured as Western Europe a place that was supposed to be the elite thinkers, the elite culture. How do you explain two world wars within two decades of each other? And how do you explain the Holocaust? Bondage and decay. In the ancient Roman world, there was a temple, the temple of Janus, or Janus. Um, it's where we get the word, uh, it's... Janus beginnings, it's where we get the word January. It was the place in ancient Rome where the weapons were stored. And the doors were never shut because there was always a threat of war. So the doors had to be open to arm yourself. Only three times in the history of that temple were the doors shut, two of them, during the time of Augustus. But the temple is sort of a metaphor for what the world has been like from its creation since the fall. So there's always been a war. Always been a war. And Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God in a world like His, in a world like ours. And I want to I say for the record that the kingdom of God is the best offer a human being will ever be offered in this life. God's kingdom comes into human beings. Which means that there is forgiveness, yes, but there is also the healing and the restoration of our souls. We are given a different kind of way of looking at the world. A vision for what the world looks like when God reigns supreme in every man's heart and throughout all of creation. And hope is restored. And one of the ways that God is doing this in a dark and decaying world is salt and light. Disciples of Jesus, that's what they are. Salt and light. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, 
that this is what you're like when you're in the kingdom of God. You're like salt. And you're like light. That identity and what it means in terms of our nature and our character has not always been appreciated by the church. As we have seen, our faith has become at times corruptible or corrupted to the point that we don't even recognize it. It has become adulterated in various ways. And that's why this morning we must consider what it is that Jesus is saying when he says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Salt in the ancient world was precious. You didn't just go down to the H-E-B or you know, to the corner mark and get salt. It was, it was precious, hard to come by. The word for salt, sal, is connected to the word salarium in, in Latin, which is where we get the word salary. And in Roman times, soldiers were sometimes paid by salt. And to say somebody wasn't worth their salt meant that he wasn't really worth his pay. But salt, as you know, by its nature, influences everything that it touches. It penetrates everything that it touches. Salt penetrates and it stops decay. Whatever it touches is changed. The taste of food. I mean, I like the taste of a nice steak that's grilled. You know the only thing that's better than that? A salted steak on the grill. And that is a wonderful thing. What happens to ice when it when salt touches it, it changes. And Jesus says that salt that has lost its saltiness has lost its reason, its, 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 its reason for being, its purpose. It's no longer influential. It's lost its worth. It's only to be thrown out and trampled under by, underfoot. Which brings us to light. He says disciples of Jesus are like, like light. God God gives people in His kingdom a certain radiance. You are light. In the kingdom, you are given a certain radiance. There is a brilliance that is shed on His people. And like salt, light penetrates darkness by its very nature. To be salt and light is to live a life that not only acknowledges that there is a God, but it is a life that is also directed by God. And this is one of the reasons why Paul would say to that church in Colossae, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything you do. read recently a story about a young woman at a small children, she was beginning to really struggle with, you know, as a disciple of Jesus, she wanted to do something really significant with her life. And she was feeling like, well, I'm just taking care of these kids, like anybody taking care of kids. It's not significant work. But she's struggling. I mean, maybe your moms know what she's, she's struggling with. You just feel like you want to be doing something big. And on one morning, she has to go to the grocery store. She's going to go with her four-year-old kid. And she, she says, you know what? I, we're just going to eat donuts. And so they go into the grocery store, and there's that little bakery and cafe and coffee shop there by the cash registers. And they're sitting there, and they're eating donuts, and one after another, you know, just donut, donut. 
And just feeling kind of sorry for herself. And then she sees right across, there's this disheveled looking human being who is sitting there holding a glass of water. And he's just sitting there silently. And she notices that as he's holding that cup, his hands are split. Like it's cold outside. And they've gotten dry and they've split. And she notices it. And she says, you know, I guess the reason I noticed that it's because my son, four-year-old kid, has the same issue with his hands, eczema, that at times gets so bad that it splits his hand and it hurts. And all of a sudden, there's this thought that comes into her mind. You know what? You've got some salve that you know works. You should go buy some of that salve and go and give it to that guy. And as soon as that thought comes into her mind, she goes, that, is, that would be embarrassing. I don't think I should do that. I mean, I don't know this guy. It would be embarrassed. Might embarrass him. It might embarrass me. I don't know how he's going to react. And then it dawns on her that is so far out of her comfort zone that the only reason a thought like that might have entered her head is because God put it there. So she says, okay, I'm going to do it. She goes into the grocery store. She finds the salve. She's kind of shuffling her feet. She's going slow because maybe he won't be there when she gets back. She pays for it. She goes into that little bakery area, and there he is. And she walks over to him. And you know how moms do? She has her little four-year-old son, and she bends over the table where she's kind of eye-to-eye with this guy, like moms do. And she says, does that hurt? And he goes, it hurts a lot. And she said, I guess the reason I noticed this is because my son, same kind of thing happens. And she held up four-year-old boy's hands, split, and she goes, it's painful. I have some salve that really works. Would you like it? And he says, I would like it a lot. And put some on his hand, and they talk for a little bit. And it's time for her to, to leave. And as she's walking out the grocery store, the doors slide open and the sun hits her and it dawns on her. And she thinks to herself, oh my goodness, being salt and light is like being a mom to somebody. There is a reason and there's also a how. Disciples of Jesus, by the beauty of their life, expose decay and darkness in the world. And it's not in a judgmental way. Just by showing up each day, by the nature of the character of Christ and the love of God that abides in us, each day we show up, we make racism look like racism. We make gossip look like gossip. We make All of the injustices and unfairnesses of the world look like injustice. We make hate look like hate just by showing up. Just the way that Jesus did it. Jesus never said, make yourself salty. Jesus didn't say, make your light shine. He said, let it shine because of what he's already done inside of you. Light by its nature lets us see things for what they really are. And then number two, disciples of Jesus bring joy to others. Paul writes, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 has this really interesting word in it. It says, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? May see your what, church? Your good deeds. That word good, interesting word. A couple of words for good in the original language. The one that is used here, the word kalos, means beautiful. It means that we bring beautiful works into the lives of others in a way that allows them to see God maybe for the first time, at least in a different way. And by these beautiful deeds, these beautiful deeds, it's one of the ways that we become that beautiful, disruptive presence in the world that says there's another way. There's another life. There's another place to be. And that's at the sight of God. You know, before there was ever a church building, there was just the church. It was in homes and other places. The church was in the communities in which it was planted. About four years ago, there's an article on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle about a metro transit operator, bus driver, by the name of Linda Wilson Allen. She loves the people who ride her bus. She waits for them. If they're coming down the sidewalk and they're going to be late, she waits for them. She knows who they are. And she'll make up that time at some other place on her route. She helped an 80-year-old woman by the name of Ivy with grocery bags. She pulls up to the stop, opens up the door, sees the 80-year-old woman struggling with the grocery bags. She gets out of her seat, goes out of the bus, picks up the bags and helps this lady to her seat and puts the bags down beside her. Guess what? Ivy will let bus after bus after bus go by so that she can ride Linda's bus. A woman by the name of Tanya was new to the San Francisco area. She was new to the bus stop. And Linda knew just by looking at her that she seemed lost and out of place. She invited her to her house for Thanksgiving, said, if you don't have a place to go, you can come and celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. I think what she said is you can kick it with my family. Linda has built a little community of blessing on her bus. People love her. They offer her the use of their vacation homes. They bring her gifts, potted plants and bouquets. Linda likes to wear scarf to adorn her, her uniform, and so they bring her scarves. I think about the thankless task of driving a city bus and what that looks like in a world like ours where you know, cranky passengers can get on the bus. Can you believe that? There are engine breakdowns. Have you ever seen a Via bus break down on the side of the road? It is not pretty. Traffic jams. Gum on the seats. You ask yourself, how in the world does somebody like her, with a job like this, have that kind of attitude? It begins at 2.30 in the morning on her knees, a half hour of prayer. She says, we talk a lot about God on this bus. And at the end of the line, she always says, that's all. I love you. Take care. People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I can tell you where, at least in one place. You can find it on the number 45 bus riding through San Francisco. 
people wonder, where can I find the church? And I will tell you this, that at least in one place, it's behind the wheel of a metro transit vehicle where a bus driver decided salt and light. You know, it's past Friday. It was not just a hard day in all of the world, but especially hard if you lived in Christ Church, New Zealand. You know what I'm talking about. Death toll is 50 people, 34 still wounded, in the hospital in critical shape. At the end of, in a couple of minutes, uh, we're going to sing a song. And that song is, it's an offer, but it's also a challenge to change. And probably more than anything else, it's a challenge for us who want to be disciples and are disciples of Jesus to live our lives as salt and light. And that's not something that we just do on our own because we, you know, we just you know, pull up our pants and, okay, I'm salt and I'm light. We become salt and light by the help of God. And sometimes we need prayer. And sometimes we need counsel and sometimes we need encouragement. It's also an invitation to those who have never given themselves to the Christ to allow the kingdom of God to come into them as they come into the kingdom of God. You know, this past Friday, a reminder of decay and darkness in the world. As salt and light people, we live on the boundary of the invisible world of the kingdom of God and the visible world of the 21st century world. Our mission is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is to love people our neighbors as ourself, and it is to go into the world and to make disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, to introduce them to the kingdom of God that is rich in blessing, and it is so because God is a joyful and a happy and a loving blesser of human beings. And so we change the world. One way our world is changed is when people living as salt and light declare that the kingdom of God, as evidenced in my life, is here. And the status quo of the present age is going to be overthrown by God himself. To live as salt and light is not, it is not a utopian ideal. But it is the truest of realities brought into being by a joyful God who brings an overflow of blessing into human life. Salt and grace people anticipate seeing grace in unlikely times and situations. Like when you're eating a donut or you're driving a bus. But nothing happens unless salt leaves the salt shaker. And goes into the world to stop the decay with the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. The light of hope has to be turned on in the lives of his people. And so the challenge for us as salt and light people is to continue to do our beautiful deeds in such a way that God is not just recognized, but God is praised to the glory of his name forever and ever. Amen. Men, let's stand and sing.
Worthy is the Lamb.